Well, hey there, it's great to be back with you again. We have been in this series, Time Has Come, as we talked about church revitalization, and today we are talking about a new passion for the gospel. November the 6th, 2023. Know what that means? Yep. For some of you, you are already six days into Christmas. The trees are down, the lights are out, the decorations are going up. I bet for some of you, you've even started baking while listening to your favorite Christmas music. And if that's you, we can't be friends. Please know that I am only kidding. Christmas for a lot of people is such a special time. Yet for others, well, Christmas just has a different meaning because of the circumstances that have surrounded it, maybe as they were little or as they've grown older in their age. For me, I absolutely love the meaning of Christmas. I mean, listen to this. For unto us, a Savior is born. Man, if you understand what that word Savior means, man, Christmas is great. But however, as a holiday when I was a kid growing up or much younger, I didn't get as excited as most people did, mostly because of the way Christmas was a non-eventful event. I guess you can say that. As I was growing up, then Diane and I had two girls. Well, <laughs> listen, a baby changes everything, right? Christmas became this magical time. We'd watch our girls' faces light up at the, at the presents or at the twinkling of the lights. The joy of hiking up a mountain with them and cutting down a tree. Christmas was so much fun. Fast forward 18 years and our girls have grown. Uh, and Christmas is still a fun time together. We get together, we laugh, we enjoy each other's company. We love on one another but it doesn't have that same magic to it that it did when they were younger. Then Lauren, her and Nathan decided to have a baby, and again, a baby changes everything. This Christmas, I can't wait to buy Bo a motorcycle, his first car, perhaps a weightlifting set, or get him his first boat. You got to know that I'm just kidding, but if he could ask for it, he's getting it. Christmas is magical again this year. So why the story, Chris? Well, I believe that the body of Christ, what I've seen, what I've watched, the magic of the gospel has followed along the same script as the magic of Christmas. When we accept Christ, that moment is something else. We are dead to life, darkness to light, despair to hope. Jesus changes it all in an instant. Listen, listen to what Paul says in Acts 22 as he stands before the Jews in trial. He says, brothers and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received the letters to the brothers and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He goes on in verse 6 to say, But it happened that as I was on my way approaching Damascus at about noon, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And we know the rest of the story. He is told to get up, going into Damascus. And when he gets there, he'll be told what he needs to do. Paul begins this address to the council. Talking about the gospel and what it meant in his life, he begins this address with who he was. Paul says that he was zealous for God to the point of putting to death 
those that would speak the name of Jesus or have anything to do with him. Paul addresses who he was in the light of the sin that he did. You and I, we haven't killed anybody. At least I haven't, and I hope you haven't. But, you know, this still is, we're no different than Paul. We're still sinners. Isaiah says in Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Even our mouth is enough to keep us out of heaven. That alone should scare a lot of people. We all have sin in our life. You, me, your neighbor, the person perhaps in the car in front of you or the car behind you, the person at your cubicle at work, the persons that you can think about in your family, we are all in this boat together. And in this boat, in our lives, we have sin. We may not be a Republican or a Democrat, a Baptist or a Presbyterian, but we are all sinners. Jerry Bridges writes a book called Respectable Sin. He talks about sin, and he, he kind of lists the following. And, and so as I'm telling the, and saying these to you from his book, I want you in your mind picture a, a checkbox beside each one of these. And in your mind, just check the box that you think applies to you with these particular sins. The first one that Jerry talks about is ungodliness. It's defined as living one's life every day with little or no thought of God or of God's will, or of God's glory, or of one's dependence on God. We get up in the morning, we go to bed at night without ever having thought about God or who He is. The next two he lists are anxiety and frustration. The opposite of trusting God is anxiety. Anxiety is a sin for two reasons. It's a distrust in God, and it's a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. Now, I know what some of you are saying is, Chris, you... You know nothing about anxiety, and you're right. I have never really suffered from anxiety. I've, I've had anxious moments before when, you know, someone calls you and tells you that your daughter has a brain tumor or when you're sitting in a hospital because she's getting ready to have an awake craniotomy. So, yeah, there, there's been times that I've been anxious. But to suffer from anxiety, I haven't. And so those of you that would say that, I, I would agree. I, I don't know what you're going through, but I just know what God's Word says. Where anxiety involves fear, Frustration usually involves being upset or even angry at what or who is blocking our plans. Man, I can't tell you how many times in walking through this process with my daughter and her health conditions where we get to something and I feel like something is about to happen and the doctor just kind of puts the brakes on her. I feel like he's not attentive to what we need and I get frustrated and that frustration is a sin. The next one he talks about is discontentment. Not always a sin. Listen, if we're discontent with our walk with Christ, if we're discontent with how much we're reading God's Word. We're discontent with how much we're sharing in the gospel. That is not a bad discontentment. It should motivate us to do it more. But when discontentment involves a negative impact on our relationship with God, it is a sin. When we're discontent with the things that we have, when we're discontent in, in, in our marriage because maybe we don't like our spouse anymore, that discontentment, that's a sin. Unthankfulness is the next one he talks about. Everything we have comes from the Father. And when we do a 911 and God answers that or when he gives us the big things, man, we're, we're quick to be thankful, right? But we got to learn to be thankful in everything. The next one he talks about is pride. The problem with pride is that we can spot it in other people long before we can ever spot it in ourselves. And the pride is the root of a lot of these that we're talking about right now. He goes on to list selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger, judgmentalism, Envy, jealousy, sins of the tongue, and worldliness. So let me ask you a question. Did you get your boxes checked? In your mind as you were thinking through these sins and I was listing them out, did you say, man, this, this one kind of hits home. This one maybe applies to me. 
Maybe it's not just one. Maybe it's a couple. See, sin is the real deal. And until Jesus comes back, we are all going to have to deal with it. And it's going to be up to us of how we deal with it. Paul did in his defense. He said, this is who I was and what I did. Paul didn't shy away from it. He didn't run away from it. He owned it. And when I think about salvation, I think about who I was before Jesus got a hold of my heart and radically changed who I was. Paul goes on to say in Acts 22, in the next 10 verses, he says this, but it happened as that as I was on my way approaching Damascus at about noon, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Now, as we know, and we skip down, we know that he comes to a certain man named Ananias, a man who was, as, was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. He came to him and standing nearby, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I looked up at him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a message from his mouth. We know the rest of the story. Paul's life has changed, not for the moment, but for eternity by the power of Christ. Every believer in Christ is changed by his power and by his provision. So what are the provisions? Well, the first provision is justification, just as if you and I had never done it. And in the first provision, we are rescued from the penalty of sin, which is an eternal death separated from Christ. Listen, you and I, from the day we were born, we were going to be separated from Christ because of the sin that we were going to commit in our life. Yet through the provision of justification, just as if you and I had never done that sin, we are rescued from the penalty of sin, which is to be separated from Christ for eternity. The second provision is sanctification, which is just a long word that means set apart. And in this set apart, we are rescued from the power of sin. Listen, is there sin in Chris's life? Is there sin around Chris's life? Absolutely. But I am rescued from the power of that sin. Because of the Holy Spirit that lives in me, because of the gospel, I am able to say, no, not this way. I'm going to do it God's way. It's a matter whether we choose to do that. But sin has no power over us if we're a believer. The third provision is a, is a future tense provision. It is glorification. Glorification is that we're rescued from the presence of sin. So one day when life is over, either we are called home or we go home, listen, we're going to be forever out of the presence of sin, no longer having to deal with that. There are things that I vividly remember about the day that I accepted Jesus. Now, 31 years removed from that moment, I remember where I was. I remember who I was. I remember why I accepted Christ. And I also remember what, what I felt at the moment that Jesus came into my heart. I remember feeling complete as if that void in my life that I thought uh, was caused by a broken relationship in my past was finally filled. I mean, I had that hole that many things I tried, whether it was football or trying to find the, the satisfaction or trying to find the, the affirmation from other people in my life, those things never filled that hole until Christ came in and filled that hole. I remember for the first time being loved because of who I was and not because of what I have done or what I could do. It was just a totally new feeling for me. You remember that day? If so, what, what do you remember about that day where you asked Jesus into your heart? Do you and I show the excitement, the passion for the gospel in our lives every day as we're talking to people? I mean, 
When's the last time that you sat down with somebody and in, in a casual conversation, they brought up their their salvation experience and and you just sense the excitement and the joy and the and the passion and the overwhelming grace and mercy in their conversation? When's the last time you were talking to somebody and they sensed that in you or I? I am sure that today, to some extent, we remember that and we still get excited about it. But, but see, there are others and there are other days where we don't. And, and the question is why? Maybe it's because we forgot the grace. Maybe it's because we're so far removed from that day that we don't remember the grace that Jesus extended to us. Listen to this as we think about grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, no, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. And then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking at that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said go what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? 
here, that's great. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. Do you remember that grace in your life? Do you remember when he said, and Peter, and Chris, and Sarah, and Mark, and put your name in that spot? Where would I be today without the gospel? That's a great question and one that I cannot answer. I know I would not be where I am right now. Church, if we're going to be the church that God desires us to be, if we're going to have the energy and the hope in this community that it needs, it will not be until we have a new passion for the gospel that each one of us that are believers have experienced. I pray that today your excitement, your passion, your energy for the gospel has been renewed. But it won't stay that way if you don't go share it. So go out, share it, make it a great day, and may God be glorified. Until next time, have an amazing, amazing day. 